This episode is brought to you by NoCD.com, effective treatment breaking the cycle of religious OCD. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. What the? That actually scared me. I was like, why is Emily not talking? (laughs) My plan worked. (laughs) I need to keep you guys on your toes. Spooky, spooky, spooky. Hey, you know, it's after Thanksgiving, right? The spooky season is over. Not to Thea, it's not. It's spooky season. Yeah, not to me, it's not either. We're watching a spooky show right now, and that legitimately spooked me. You're welcome. Hi, friends. Big energy. Now that your heart rate's coming down, um, what are you consuming for beverages? Well, it's funny you ask, Emily. I'm drinking a kava stress relief tea. Not that I need it right now, but wow, I guess I do now. Um, I'm drinking that because it is a chilly little rainy evening here in Seattle. Uh, But I also need a bit of sunlight in my life. So I'm drinking a drink that I cobbled together that's like half San Pellegrino, half orange peach mango juice, some spritzes of lemon juice and 20 dashes of bitters to give it a little edge. Not enough to like make it alcoholic, really, because pretty negligible, honestly. I know that sounds like something an alcoholic would say, but it, I promise you, we've been over this. It's pretty negligible to put bitters in your drink. Now, so, did you do exactly 20? I did. I counted it out. Wow. Yeah. I commend you. How many dashes Love to it. an ounce? Oh, man. Yeah, I, it's... Ugh. I don't... I'll give it like to you. like a 16th or something? No, it's got to be like... I honestly would be willing to bet it's 50. Mm. Wow. I'm keeping... W- with all of Josh's... There's peach mango and however... I lost count of the ingredients, to be honest. I just have a key lime LaCroix. <laughs> just one... Ah. One single ingredient. Look at that. Essence of key lime. I like it. I, tonight, I am a beverage goblin... Uh, so I have three beverages. What? Yes. I proudly wear that title. I have a bottle of water, which we have agreed it counts as a beverage. Famously. So, Famously of course, I had to agreed. name that first. Yes. Yeah. So I have a bottle of water. I have a nice mug of apple cider. And I also have a cup of London Fog iced tea. Mm. I had to do a little bit of a tea, but not hot since I already had a hot beverage. So I did iced. And it's great because it tastes like Fruit Loops. And I love it. That sounds wonderful. It really is. You should be a beverage goblin. Everyone should be a beverage goblin. I'm being minimalist over here with my key lime. You are being very minimal. Yeah. But that's trademark Stephen. So classic. I'm okay with that. Right. Here we are. We're recording and we get to hear 
a topic, idea, a question from one of our patrons, Michaela. And I have not heard this voicemail. And I don't think Josh has either. Nope. Maybe. No, nope. neither have I. None. So three for three. This is fresh. We've been notified that it's there. And now we are ready to hear the message at hand. So yep. buckle in, keep your hands in the vehicle at all times, and let's see what Michaela has for us today. Hi, Josh, Emily, and Stephen. My name is Michaela. I've been listening for about two months now and absolutely love the show. Listening to people have open and honest conversations about their faith journeys has been so healing for me. On that note, I would love to hear your thoughts on responding to negative emotions. Growing up, I was told that if you experienced and or expressed negative emotions, you were dwelling on them and not on the Lord. With that, I was also told that I am a very bitter person who won't let things go after being hurt repeatedly by my childhood church, family members, and friends growing up. I know that I don't hold on to those things any longer, but when a new hurt comes up, I worry that I'm being bitter and harboring hurt. I guess to summarize, what are your thoughts on the place of negative emotions and faith? Thank you. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. That took my breath and away a couple times. I, yeah, like initially, like I wanted to cry. Mm. Yeah. Um, how do we want to tackle this? Growing up, Michaela was told that if you experience or express negative emotions, you were dwelling on them and not on the Lord. Mm-hmm. That, I relate with that a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, to be honest, from from one Sunday school teacher, I was told that being sad for too long was allowing a doorway to the devil into my brain. So, Whoa. Whoa, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that, please? <laughs> uh, being sad for too long was making a doorway for the devil into my brain. Okay. Yeah. So thank goodness we're trauma-informed folks in the year of our Lord 2023, and we have much better framing language for all of that, right? As if that was wow. supposed to help, right? Like, hey, don't be sad. Be afraid that the devil's going to worm his way in there, you know? Wow, when you put it like that, that actually makes it sound even worse. Don't be sad, <laughs> be afraid. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it doesn't help, too, that the... And this is a generalization, so, like, if you're listening to this, don't take... I'm not talking about you personally. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think it doesn't help that the boomer generation is generally characterized by not being able to handle emotions well. Like, I even think... Don't air your dirty laundry. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, like, I think that I'm dealing with that in some ways, too. Like, I think that, like, I'm starting to realize maybe where, like, I'm emotionally stunted in some ways, possibly. Like, I'm, I think I'm still kind of, like, figuring that out and, like, learning what I need to work on. But I think it doesn't help that, like, the generation that raised us in church in general is considered like not knowing how to deal with their emotions well mm -hmm. and so like in some ways it makes sense to me that like it translated to a theology of not knowing how to deal with your emotions well mm. but like i think specifically her question about negative emotions is interesting i feel like bitterness is one of the more common ones that's like harped on i'm trying to think like where i might have ever heard someone rag on another negative emotion in church but i'm struggling like i don't think i ever got anybody telling me don't be sad in church 
I think it was usually towards like bitterness, maybe anger. Anger. Mm-hmm. Or we don't have a spirit of fear, right? Oh, yeah. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid. And I think they meant be brave, <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure. One of the things that comes to mind when thinking about bringing up emotions, you know, so like you two brought up examples of don't have fear, don't be bitter, don't be anger. And I think about all the times throughout scripture that Jesus was angry Mm. (laughs) or sad or experienced humanness. And if we encounter God taking on flesh and experiencing those things, why are we telling people to not do that? Bothers me. Like we strive for a relationship with the divine, with the creator, whatever we want to label it. And yet we're telling people whom we have relationships with actively to not do those things, to not feel Mm. angry, bitter, sad, alone, scared. And Mm. Jesus experienced those things. So why say you want relationship and having a sense that God understands you when you're telling people to not do that for themselves? Mm. That's very unhealthy in my mind. I think there's also this like reasoning that I've definitely seen in church before. I think there's this reasoning sometimes that if someone's feeling a negative emotion or like they have a negative reaction towards a person or a situation, that that somehow invalidates their reasoning. Mm. Like, for example, and Steven, I'm just going to use you as an example. Uh, I don't actually think you're like this, but feel free to claim it. (laughs) I feel like I've heard the argument that someone like Steven is quote unquote just bitter and that's why they left the church as if like Mm. bitterness or anger like makes your cognitive abilities completely defunct right or it's an invalid reason oh yeah you mean like that gospel coalition article that went out today did you guys hear about this what i did the headline the headline was basically yeah we've seen we've been seeing church membership decline and church attendance decline and people are leaving the church and leaving the faith claiming that it's because of like church abuse and basically the gospel coalition were like yeah the abuse was bad but maybe those people were just looking for a reason and this is what they used to justify and it was like Mm -hmm. what the fuck are you talking about dude it was cringe oh my god (laughs) tell me you're out of touch with the very people you claim to want to reach with your ministry come on yeah, the trauma was bad, but we just don't like being left alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Josh, you just heard that for the first time. How are you responding to that? Because that's just—I mean, I'm not—I'm not surprised. I don't <laughs> subscribe to the the TGC. It's not regularly in my feed, right? At best, it's I see not? people making fun of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, I'm not surprised. Like, I feel like the argument is just so—it's not just out of touch. I think it's tired. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. I just listened to the latest season of Heaven Bent, and it was about IHOP. Casey, if you have any interest in listening to like a true crime storytelling of a church, whoa, or any, they, there's a couple seasons. You, everyone should go listen to it. It's great. I mean, it's not great, but like it's it's about church abuse and like like the reporting is fantastic and humanizing and like in my opinion, is calling people to be better. And like it, what I don't understand is a response towards anybody 
whether they are victims of abuse or just choosing something, I don't understand the stance that is trying to like overwrite someone's experience. Cause I think that mm-hmm. at its core, I think emotion is an experience and we have to learn how to deal with that. And I, I don't understand the, it, it just feels so similar to the, like a pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality of like, well, back in my day, we didn't have time to get sad. Like we were busy, too busy working. <laughs> and like, there's this, like, I know that's a caricature, <laughs> but like, I feel like there's this mentality in church that is, towards the vein of like well if you were actually working on your faith you wouldn't even have time to think about being bitter like mm. like the the actions of other people wouldn't even matter because you'd be too busy forgiving them almost and i'm not sure where the balance is like listening to this latest season of heaven bent for instance i think the the reporter Tara Jean Stevens does an incredible job documenting stories of both victims and critics and participants that are like all wrestling with it in their own way Mm. and i forgot where i was going with that yep it's gone vanished i hope it comes back disappeared well don't let the negative feelings get at you too bad yeah they're okay (laughs) and they're valid that's the other thing that like pisses me off frankly is like for example if you do leave a church and you were bitter about something that happened Why is that like, is that not a good enough reason? Like what would be a good enough reason? What is the line that has to be crossed? You know, it feels like, uh, and Michaela, I'm so sorry that people just have straight up called you a bitter person. I think that's a label that someone chooses to give another when they don't know how to make space for the feelings you're feeling Hmm. like, Oh, you're just be, you know, it's like, what they call bitter, they're just trying to create a defense for, oh, well, you took that too seriously or took that too personally. That's not how I meant it. Or, hey, man, like, why are you so bitter? I, someone could ask me, like, why are you bitter toward your last church? And I would say, oh, it's not bitter. It's, it's, it's strong boundaries because I was slashed. I was cut to the quick with a sword. And when these people are out, and swinging the sword around still being like, hey, man, why don't you come over here? I'm like, no, I'm good, actually. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I just have boundaries and I know what causes pain. And I don't want that anymore. You know, like, I think bitter feels like something others put on you when they don't have categories or when they just don't know what to do with even your I mean, like guardedness comes up but i i really think it's like in a healthy way of like no you're protecting yourself and we don't need to we don't need to shame that further by calling someone bitter like even if someone if someone has wronged me and the wrong that i'm still thinking about is five years in the past a that probably means there was some element of trauma however capital t you want to get with that trauma like that has been a a sticky experience for you so much that it's still held in your body and at the forefront of your conscious mind but no i just don't think that's fair i don't think that's fair to put on someone else what about other negative emotions like do you feel like i know i brought up bitterness but do you feel like there's other negative emotions that church either tends to propagate or uh doesn't know how to deal with in a healthy way 
I feel like some churches don't know how to handle at best. I'll call it being uncomfortable hmm. or at most vivid. I'll use the word disgust. Yeah. Hmm. If a church does something that disgusts me very often, that church probably already has language coming from the leadership being like, Hey, if you don't like it, you're free to leave. We can't handle that emotion. We can't handle if you have a legitimate complaint or issue with the way we're doing things. That was truly some of the language of my last church is like, they were proud of like, we're not for everyone. So if you don't want it, it was truly like Mark Driscoll of like, if you're not going to get on the bus, we're going to fucking run you over with it and get out of the way. Hmm. It's like, oh, okay, great. That's the kind of community I want to be fostered inside of. Awesome. Yeah. I don't think churches handle grief well either. Ooh, that's a good one. We struggle with grief. What ways do you feel like you see that as a pastor or as a previous congregant? I think anything outside of funerals. Mm. So funerals, like they're standard. Like people almost expect them. It's the same with baptisms. Like you kind of just expect, Mm. Um, even though you do more funerals than baptisms in a heartbeat. Uh, I think anything outside of the church that creates grief, we struggle with. So like great example talking about it in our Trinity class, war and the amount of loss that is experienced because of war and conflict and the grief that comes with that. I think people are very uncomfortable with that and they don't know how to process grief in that way because it's distant from them. They are not connected. Mm. It's happening over there. So there's this distance that's created, Um, but it's affecting everyone. Like everyone should be impacted by it. and. I think churches struggle with things just happening outside of the church in a way because they want to use logic or reasoning to deal with it or to process it. But at the end of the day, the emotion is still there. You can reason through it as much as you want and intellectualize it as much as you want, but the emotion is still there and it should be processed and it's still valid. You know what's a little ironic to me about this question? Maybe ironic's not quite the right word, but I feel like aspects of Christian thought and even some Jewish thought is very much trying to like cope with, but also like course correct negative emotions. And I think in some ways that taken to to the extreme has like in some instances turned into just a denial of negative emotions. Mm. Like for example, I'm thinking of like some 10 commandment type stuff. Like you think about coveting your neighbor's stuff. And like, I think even back in the day, I think that would have been thought of like what we now know of as like cognitively and mentally. Like I think they would have thought of coveting, not necessarily as like you're going to steal, but it's like the prelude to stealing or like the desire to steal something. Mm. Like it starts with desire. Oh, lust um, and adultery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I, th- I think that there's things in the Bible that are like getting at course correcting. And then you see Jesus teach things that are also getting at that. Like you have hate in your heart, even if you don't murder your brother. Like mm. you thought about it. Mm-hmm. I know you thought about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that like in a weird way, like having a hyper focus on, uh, man, I don't know how to word this, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is hyper-focusing on like the positive swing, I think 
like makes people be in denial of like, oh no, I've never even thought about murdering my brother. Are you kidding me? Of course I never have. Mm. When Jesus the whole time is like trying to call it out as like, no, I know you have, you need to stop that. <laughs> and uh, I think that it's really hard to. Do you think Jesus like, was actually on the, you need to stop that train? Mm. Cause I almost mm. feel at least the way I'm remembering these passages is I almost feel like Jesus was just like, a, it was a tool, I guess. Like, I've always heard that as an evangelism tool of like, see, Jesus is not giving you an out. You have to confess you're a sinner, right? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, maybe in a in a very open-handed way, Jesus is saying like, can we just acknowledge that that's part of it? <laughs> and like, thank goodness you're not acting on it, but like, we should acknowledge that sometimes you get really pissed off and you want to do some harm. Actually, I think that's part of it. Maybe that's the better point than what I was trying to say is that i think that we view i think that people have taught negative emotions as sinful Hmm. either implicitly or explicitly yeah like i think i've thought that before about anger and even though i'm not a very angry person like we've done an episode on anger it was forever ago and it actually angered quite a few people (laughs) because emily and i were all like no we don't need anger basically (laughs) Um, a nines (laughs) (laughs) but like I, I think that as much as I don't think I'm an angry person and I, I think I have a complicated relationship to that, I don't think anger is sin anymore. Mm-hmm. But I did think that at one point like because I was explicitly taught that. I wonder, you just made me think, I wonder if the bias toward positive emotion, Christianity has always struck me as a very future-oriented endeavor. mm and whether that's oversimplifying to like, you hope for a better place in heaven, right? Because of that future orientation, I wonder if we conflate like positive emotion and hope. Because there's always hope that things will be better. So like to surrender to a negative emotion is to say that you're not hopeful. And then you feel bad for not being hopeful because you're told to be full of hope. Mm. And it feels like you've lost somehow whereas i feel like even even what i was saying about the reading of that verse is like something more present oriented that could be jesus just saying yeah let's acknowledge that sometimes you just like your your body heats up and you want to haul off and hit someone maybe even stab them right let's acknowledge that that happens and say okay emotion i don't have to follow you though yeah but but then we see jesus flipping tables mm-hmm and like acting out so it's like there's a balance i feel like there's a line between calling out unjust things and flipping tables and hating someone so you stab them Mm. and i feel like people see flipping tables as if you're stabbing someone well yeah that but that that's american capitalism speaking that's because to damage properties to damage a person at their core (laughs) right but like when we're seeing things as equal to people, but we're not even valuing people's lives. That's because we see people as equal to things. <laughs> like that should make people angry. Totally. <laughs> Correct. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine being worried about committing a sin in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make it go away. That is religious OCD. It can come with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about breaking a religious rule or offending God. 
NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient exposure response prevention therapy. ERP therapy is a type of CBT, and it's considered the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. As someone currently seeing a therapist having conversations about scrupulosity or religious OCD, I can say personally how helpful this treatment has been for gaining new perspective. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective, evidence-based treatment. To find out more about NoCD, visit nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. So if you don't get angry, then what does that say about you? That's what makes me concerned. Mm. Like when we're equating people to property and we don't see them as people and yet we want to treat our property better than we treat people and we don't see anything wrong with that what does that say about us like if you don't get upset at what's happening i think this is something kind of at the core of emotional talk is that like the anger is something that is inspired within us when we see something negative therefore we label the emotion itself negative but it actually or we should yeah i guess i'm about to argue that like what if we just stopped with the positive negative and just recognized emotions as neutral it is anger it is sadness it is joy and we can experience how, those as but how those are carried out can either be positive or negative by, so the emotion itself is neutral it's how we live into those that are positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But then those those definitions come from what? What society, I guess, would say is yeah. negative or positive. Sure. So, again, going back to the example of like what's happening in the Gaza Strip, there would be some people that don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. But a lot of people would say that genocide is wrong <laughs> and what's happening is sad. So to the people who don't see that as a bad thing, that they're not disgusted at the lives being lost, what does that say then about the emotion or people? Like, what what does that say? 
because like if there are people that say there's nothing wrong what are you talking about so what people die every day what's wrong with that that doesn't make you cringe Mm. like that's bad (laughs) i'm angry i'm angry when people don't see anything wrong with what's happening and i think jesus flipping tables is a great story because jesus Mm. could have handled that in a different way right he could have gone up to each person be like excuse me can you can we bring this outside and that would have been positive but flipping tables makes a statement and for some people that's negative and for some people that was positive so i mean the emotion itself is not a bad or good thing it 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 is what it is it's how it's lived out that is positive or negative mm. you can feel anger we all feel anger but how we carry that is either going to be positive if you punch a wall it's not necessarily good, but it's better than punching a person. That's bad. <laughs> mm. So are we back to like a life hermeneutic of uh, at best life giving, at least not doing harm? I mean, for me, yeah. Yeah. Like take anger, for example. I'm angry at what's happening in our world. I'm angry with our church. And how we're treating people. You know, there are things that make me angry. And I can either do something that's life-giving and invoke change and do something that's life-giving. Or I can do something that's harmful and it just perpetuates negativity from that anger. So the emotion itself, it is what it is. And so I feel like for Michaela, who was angry, validly so... People were expressing to her, labeling on her, that's negative. You're a bitter person. Shame on you. Was she doing any harm? (laughs) Like, from Mm. the sound of it, no. Mm -hmm. I don't believe she was. And for people who don't want to see it that way, for people who just want to live into the idea of that she's a bitter person and she shouldn't be angry, that's not very life-giving. Like you're perpetuating a lot of negativity within that statement and it could create more harm down the road, depending. So it it just makes me sad. It really does. I feel like there's a tendency in people of faith to almost have like a prosperity gospel view of emotions that like, if God is working in your life, you should have positive emotions almost all the time. And if you do experience negative emotions, you should feel them very fleetingly. Like you shouldn't anymore after being changed, you shouldn't covet anymore. You shouldn't hate your brother so much that you could just strangle him. (laughs) That's not a real example for me. I don't have a brother, so don't come at me. But like, I feel like there is, I don't think it's quite like the same thing as a bias or like a confirmation bias, but I feel like there's just this bent towards positivity. And like, I do think that evangelicalism has been an influence on that, like especially in the, um, not just positive psychology, but like um, positive thinking. Like you could talk about some of the history behind um, the book, The Power of Positive Thinking and how it's influenced um, a certain recent president and his version of Christianity. But I I think it, it I think it kind of feeds into all of that feeds into this almost this belief that like if you're a Christian you'll have better emotions than people 
like not just a better mm. life but like better emotions overall and like you will have a good life and a good experience of life because mm. of your connection with god and your faith and i think that's a really deep-seated belief that often isn't talked about and i think that all feeds into having a negative view of negative emotions because like what i hear both of you saying is like i don't think what you're trying to do is whitewash someone's negative mm. experience mm-hmm. I, I don't think you're doing that at all. I think someone could listen to what we're saying and think, oh no, they're trying to invalidate all negativity, just like Christians do on a regular basis. But I don't actually think you're trying to get at that. What I hear you trying to get at is dismantling and unraveling the idea that your life is going to be good all the time if you're a Christian, and mo- emotions included. And I guess too that you don't have to be like, you don't have to be identified with your emotions either. Oof, that one hits close. (laughs) I feel like for the longest time, I took such pride in being a cheerful, happy, optimistic, all the time, nearly manic person. Mm. All the time. Mm -hmm. I do think I'm like naturally inclined to that way anyway, but like it definitely got reinforced in me because both Christians and non-Christians would comment on it. And they would be like, there's something about you. And I, I would like totally take that like straight into the crotch of my ego. <laughs> Weird <laughs> metaphor, but I guess it works. Uh, it works. I, I totally would just like take it in and be like, yeah, I guess I, I guess there is like it's Jesus. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, and like, I don't know exactly how to describe that. Like that kind of psychological mechanism. Cause but the joy I guess that might be a version Lord of yeah. our strength. <laughs> Exactly. That might technically be a version of like transference. Mm. I might need to look at that mm. definition. Don't quote me on that. But all of that to say, I totally associated my Christian identity with positive emotion all the time, basically. And like, I think maybe in the future I will discover more about how that has affected my cognition and my like view mm. of myself. Like made it your whole personality. Yeah, that and I I think I'm also learning this year cuz like I am I'm getting married to my partner later this year. Well, I mean I guess it's next year technically. But like within the year and like already I think I'm learning not that I will like arrive anywhere, but like I think I'm learning more about how I don't know how to handle all of my emotions. Mm. And I think that doesn't just include necessarily negative emotions, but like being able to like kind of like kind of like what Emily was saying like being able to turn your emotions into actions and that it matters what you do with your emotions. Yeah. So, there's a question. We're so worried about how we like have we learned to handle our negative emotions well. Do we even know how to handle positive emotions? No. <laughs> no. Are emotions even something to be handled? I think we want them at, to at be. a certain point. It feels like is a river something supposed to just be held in our hands. What are we talking about at, at a certain like when we're talking about emotions this way, man, Josh, that just crystallized for me. Like, do I know how to handle mm. joy? Like I think of my dog, right? Like one of my dogs, when I get home, she gets so stoked and she engages in uh, what people call displacement behavior. She doesn't know what to do with how excited she is. So she always runs away from me, even though I'm the source (laughs) of her stoked. She runs away from me, finds a random toy and like brings it to me. And it's like, 
for the longest time, Dixie and I were like, what the heck are you doing? But basically like we, we looked up, we found displacement uh, behavior and it's basically like, yeah, that dog doesn't know how to deal with the emotion it's feeling. So it's, it, it's, it's literally just on autopilot doing something else until it can get to a point of like, come to you, get pets and all those kind of things. Isn't that so funny that like, that's such a predict I've seen that behavior in my friend's dogs. Yeah. That's such a predictable behavior that like, Somebody had to figure that out because it happens so much. <laughs> Why does that keep happening? That's crazy. <laughs> but that, I mean, like, we're not dogs, obviously. But do we do the same things with our positive emotions and we don't even know it? I have to imagine we do in some ways. And it just makes me wonder, like, yeah, I, we're grappling with emotions, trying to handle emotions. Like, we're trying to, what, like, put a saddle on the wind. Right. Maybe it's just something that gets to flow through us. And that's, I, I think that's kind of like the core of where I'm coming from when I say like emotion is neutral. It is a feeling that's manifesting through the body in some way, but we attach negative positive based on what impacts it's having on the world around us and the impacts it's having on us as individuals. Cause like, have you ever seen, mm. I mean, okay. A human gets so stoked that they punch a wall. You're like, whoa, is he angry? No, he's so happy. He just didn't know what to do with himself. But again, that's still it. it's like the same question of like how you let that be embodied is what we describe as negative or positive. Mm-hmm. I also feel like I threw out the idea of like, yeah, you don't have to be identified by your emotion as if that was like a really easy thing to say huh. and do. <laughs> no, I think it's a good point, too, though, because like I do think a decent amount of that does come from within christianity for better or for worse that like you should have a joyful heart and you should be embodying love joy and peace they're the fruits of the spirit right yeah which is funny because i think that like those like love joy peace i think a lot of people conceptualize those three as emotional and the other ones not as like Like, practical self-control patience yeah like more like disciplines and even so they look a certain way you know yeah Mm mm-hmm Which is why I think Emily's point is a good one that like action matters. Your response to your emotions matter. And certainly all of us could be better at that. But I do think it is really interesting that (laughs) I will say, I think the Mormons have taken that and run with it. (laughs) That like, (laughs) there's this idea that like you should be the happiest, best Mm. experienced people. Like you're always having a good time. How could we not? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And like, I think that that's, I don't use this word a lot. I think that's unfortunately toxic. I think it sounds really great. And I think it just totally, I, uh, Steven, I liked your like river metaphor. I don't know exactly where you're stealing that from, but I think it like kind of overwrites that like flow of the human experience, being able to hold different emotions in the same moment sometimes too. Mm -hmm. Like today, great example for me. At a great morning, like, actually, no, no, back up. <laughs> at a tense morning at first. And then I had a great morning. I was elated. And then as the day went on, I was just drained. And like, I felt all of those things so nearly physically today, mm-hmm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think that I have gotten better at like actually acknowledging an emotion and letting it sink in and like, knowing that I'm feeling it and either letting it go or letting it like become something else. 
And I hope to become even better at that because I don't think I'm perfect for sure. And I think that, unfortunately, I think it's a very big question to interrogate like the ways in which church and theology has affected our view of emotions, both for ourselves and for others. Mm. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, no, no two churches are alike. And like, I think that my theology of emotion it was probably completely different from both ears growing mm-hmm. up. What's an emotion that you hate feeling? Whoa. Oh. Since we're talking about dealing with emotions. Embarrassed. Ooh, yeah. Good Lord. I hate being embarrassed. Is that an emotion or a feeling? Okay. <laughs> I mean, is there that much of a difference? <laughs> is, I don't know. Maybe there is. I don't know. Good question. Who's to say? It's not me. Sustained. I'll let you have that one, Emily. <laughs> I I do like that answer though, Stephen. Um, sadness. I really I really hate the emotion feeling being sad. What about you, Josh? Didn't expect it to come back around to me so quickly. <laughs> yeah, we had our answers. Um, I guess. Ooh. Man, so many words have been crossing my mind right now, and I can't make them up. And the first one to come to mind was conflicted. Whoa. Mm. I think I, I really hate feeling conflicted. Very meta just now. Yeah, that was. <laughs> cool. I think also, and we've talked about this before on our episode about anger. I don't remember which one that was, but we did it. I think that I also am not comfortable with feeling angry. I think that I often try to dismiss it too quickly or shove it down or pretend I'm feeling something different. Mm. Also, I, this was interesting and I liked this and I've been thinking about it ever since Elise and I started doing premarital therapy with an actual trained psychologist mm-hmm. in uh, Gottman psychology. Shout out to Gottman psychology. Yeah. Um, if you want to know about the science of relationships and how to make them better. That is a wonderful branch of psychology for every relationship honestly it's really interesting stuff anyway uh he said this really interesting thing in one of our early sessions he was like anger is not an emotion it's the embodiment of fear Ooh, and i was like oh interesting i think i like that i'm gonna have to think about that more and i've been thinking about it ever since (laughs) so like maybe it's not fear or maybe it's not anger i have a problem with maybe it's fear maybe i am afraid of fear so yeah that's me (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I do think that that does a lot. Like, I've been thinking about that recently, honestly, and that I think that acknowledging our emotions is, like, at least the first step. Yeah. Acknowledging them, not identifying with them, and sure as hell not identifying with what, I don't know, what other people put on you. I just, I'm so... Mm. Michaela said that other people call her bitter and I'm like, oh, Hey, other people don't, mm-hmm. don't do that. Because if anything, <laughs> oh, I, I, I just think of the way like your expectations shape reality. Like when my wife, okay, perfect. Here's a good example. I'm not grumpy, but apparently I have a face that looks like it because when my wife goes, why are you grumpy? My first answer is because you just called me grumpy. Like I just, <laughs> You, so funny. yeah, I don't know. That that sounds like a silly answer, but like, don't put that on other people. You don't have to. You can ask like, "Hey, how are you feeling?" Or, 
here's one, especially for the people, if you think you're encountering, encountering bitterness, hey, my friend, do you feel safe right now? You know, that's actually a really good point. Going back to the Gospel Coalition situation, Ugh. I think people are calling each other that. I think they're calling detractors grumpy and bitter because they don't know how to relate to it. Mm. They don't. It's only the only people who say those things are people who have no idea what the experience is like when your faith unravels and you feel compelled to leave church and they have no other word for it. Grumpy. Or they write it off as they just wanted to follow their sin. Oh, that's how I feel anyway. I, I mean, there's, it could be a little bit more complex, but like, to me, that seems really... Emily just felt the emotion of icked. I could tell. Yeah. She's been icked. icked. Mm-hmm. Is that icked because you agree with me or you disagree with me? I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Sad. Yeah. Agreement Sorry, feels nice, but icked doesn't feel good. No. <laughs> icky is icky. Hmm. Well, Michaela, you've done it. You've given us a question that... We are still perplexed by, which is kind of the point of the show in a way to think about it. But I'm feeling really good about this. I don't know about you two. Yeah, I have positive emotions. Oh, no. I'm very glad you brought this up, Michaela. Like, truly, I, I think that emotions are very compelling to think about. And uh, man, who knows how they, where they come from? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, what do you got? I hope that despite what you may be feeling emotionally, physically, spiritually, I want you to know whoever you are listening to this right now, that what you are feeling is valid, that you are valid. And we are in this together, exploring, dissecting, deconstructing, trying to make sense of it all. And whatever feelings arise from this at the end of this episode, anger, hope, joy, sadness, bitterness. Know that we are all experiencing those as well. You are never alone. We are all in this together. I almost wanted to immediately go back on my earlier point because I was like, hey, if someone puts bitterness on you, you don't have to identify with that. But if someone like Emily puts valid <laughs> validation on you, you should accept that immediately. Okay. One more thought for me. Because I, I also feel like there's like a tendency in Christianity to like read other people. Like maybe that was only a thing in my circles growing up. Like not just like prophetically trying to read people, but like like giving people insight into like their emotions and like what you see on them kind of. And, uh, Hmm. In some ways that can be really valuable. Like we're doing reviews right now at work and we have to do some peer reviews. And like, in some ways that feels good to me to like, kind of like give people my perspective on them <laughs> anonymously. Again, like that can be really valuable, but also like really misused. Right. That's like when your friend who just recently got into the Enneagram is like, no, you're totally a one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. The you're unsolicited like, read. That's, 
Yeah, that sounds about right. I also think there's a difference between like critiquing or evaluating someone's work and evaluating them as a person, and we really blend the two together. Ooh. Again, that's the American capitalism of it. Mm. Because our work is our worth. Uh, well, and along those lines, the the whole concept of being, quote unquote, being a Christian transformed in the industrial revolution from being a Christian worker to the Christian identity and the consumer. Mm. Uh, I think that just feeds into that, like reading emotions as identity. Wow. We could really just keep talking about this. Yeah. We? This, this is usually oh what it's gosh. like when we <laughs> pretend to turn off the mics at the end of an episode. We did it. Well, good talk. I'm, I'm happy we had this talk.